Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson, your host, with you. Later on for our inbox, we have a girl who's asking, what level of spiritual maturity should I expect from my 20-year-old boyfriend? Counselor Jerry Jones will weigh in. And then for our culture, Katie McCown is an author and host of the podcast Best Day Ever with Katie McCown. She's here to discuss what it looks like to find your place in the church. So stay tuned for that. She's also married to an NFL quarterback, so that's just cool. All right. We are returning now to our roundtable discussion on living in freedom from pornography addiction. So let's go ahead and hear part two of that conversation. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, we are continuing a conversation that we started last week. I have got my friends Alex, Sterling, and Carrie here. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hey. All right. Well, we were learning so much and having such a great candid conversation last week about straight up living in freedom from pornography addiction. And Alex and Sterling both started their stories telling us really how years, I mean, years of addiction to pornography beginning um, even as young teens, what that looked like. And we ended last week with Alex kind of talking about what ultimately was the turning point for him. And I was like, um, Alex, you need to tell us like literally what went on here. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people are like, that sounds like very rainbows and unicorns yes. to me and yeah. whatever. But it is, it can be a hard one fight. And it really is uh, surrendering yourself. As you heard, those of you who listened to last week's culture segment, if you didn't, you need to go back and listen to it. Because the culture segment guest, Mark, talked about really what was foundational for him was taking himself off the throne of his life and realizing that, no, God, I cannot do it. And I'm going to have to put you on that throne instead. And you just tell me, you give me the marching orders of what this is going to look like for me. So Sterling, we want to start off this segment with you kind of uh, telling what this journey looked like for you and when it stopped being the constant <laughs> I mean not that it's not a not a battle but what did it look like for you to see light at the end of the tunnel for you to start seeing change and to have that confidence last week you talked about like uh now we're talking family now we're talking <laughs> so mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what made the difference for you and how you walked it out well I have two things to say just as a, a small disclaimer, the first is um, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, so freedom, I would even challenge it as saying it's not necessarily you've never you never look at porn again. God has made you free. When you are born again as a Christian, um, you are free. You are sanctified, and you're being sanctified. So mm -hmm. freedom is is a process. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to to say that as a thing to to say you know you. You can still look at porn and be free because right. there's there's right. a, a process, even though we talked about last week, um, it's not about willpower. It's not about not wanting to or wanting to. Um, it is about submission to Christ and obedience to, to him uh, and his faithfulness. The second is I found freedom in marriage uh, and not in the way that I think most people would think. <laughs> um, it's not that I got married and all of my lust went away because I had the freedom to express my sexuality within the confines of a godly marriage. Not at all. What happened uh, was, like I said uh, last week, I, I got married uh, and we, we started looking towards the future of having kids and it just started becoming more serious. Um, the, the stakes were higher for me. 
what really happened was I had I had started developing a track record. Well, my wife and I were dating. Um, I was honest with her about this is an issue that I have um, because I think that's something you need to talk about before marriage. You talk about sin. You talk about finances. You talk about plans for the future. You want to make sure you're on the page and, and equally yoked in kind of all areas before you start to uh, form a new life together. Within marriage, I had built up a track record of being honest with my wife about when I failed and when I was struggling and what my temptations were. Uh, and I had all she had built up a track record, um, I suppose, of grace and forgiveness and mercy on me. I started connecting the dots between when I would go to my wife and say, I messed up, this is a problem, um, I need to confess to you. She would, through pain, of course, still forgive me and show me mercy and grace. And I drew that connection to how God views me. Um, every time I confessed to my wife and she said, I forgive you, it cemented one more brick in that parallel of how God thinks of me. Every time I expected, okay, well, that was the last one, Sterling, I'm done with you. I've given you enough chances, more than enough chances, more than you deserve. We're done now. Uh, when I was met instead with grace beyond what I deserved for my wife, it reminded me, this is how Jesus views me. Like, I can't ignore him uh, through this. Uh, and so as that track record built up of faithfulness in my wife, uh, I started realizing that I do have freedom. I'm choosing to not exercise. Why would I not exercise? And that doesn't go into the guilt and condemnation of, of not uh, taking the gift that God has given us, or in, rather, not taking it for granted. Uh, but in my marriage to my beautiful wife, she just completely showed me what my relationship with Jesus should be. And that finally hit home in my heart. Uh, the things that I knew, the doctrine that I'd been taught, and I, I knew to be true, I, quotation marks, believed, it finally dropped from head knowledge into heart trust. Because while I was saying, you know, I don't know if my wife will forgive me this time, I wasn't trusting her to do what she said she would do when she married me. And that was forgive and to hold and to have and in good and bad all the time, no matter what. Uh, and my wife and I, we made a commitment and we don't believe in divorce for us at all. It's just not an option. It's never been an option. Uh, and so I've lost the plot a little bit in emotions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found that freedom through submitting to Christ after my wife modeled and lived out an example for me. Yeah, that's so real. And it just, it, it reminds me so much of how, because what you're saying, you're actually saying some very scriptural truths. I mean, you are saying that we are not our behavior. We try to make ourselves our behavior, mm -hmm. but we are not our behavior. One of my favorite quotes is um, from a, a guy I know, uh, Pastor John Lynch, and he says, you know, basically live, walking out grace is us becoming what God has already declared us to be. Wow. And so we have been defined, we have been ID'd, and we talked about this a little bit last week in the culture segment, 
how it all comes back to identity. It's God has already declared us as something. We keep trying to go back to whether we say it's Egypt, like the Israelites, or it's back to our sin, or it's back to our old identity or whatever. We try to do that, and God's like, that's no longer an option for you. That is not your identity. And so I think, Sterling, that's such a great example of it. And the fact that God used your wife and is using your wife in that means and to be that person in that visual picture is really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about relationships, um, specifically marriage, because both of you dudes are married. Mm -hmm. Okay, so clearly there had to be a conversation or 50 about (laughs) (laughs) about this, because we, we talked a little bit about this last week, too, how I mean, anyone entering marriage, you know, and especially now, I feel like, you know, and Carrie, I'm going to ask you this too, from what you're, what you're seeing and hearing. I have heard so often here at Boundless from whether it's women or men, just like, I don't even know if I want to get married because I don't want to enter something where I'm not in control. I don't know where this person is. I mean, I can't read their mind. I don't know their heart. I don't, how do I know that they're not going to change or or just be like you know what straight up this is too hard i'm just gonna go back to this i you know it it's just fear and control in many different forms so all that to say alex and sterling let's start with you what did it even look like to consider marriage to be in this conversation to be the person who's like yeah, let's join our lives together, let's covenant before the Lord, and let's walk this out. Um, what were the types of questions that had to be answered and the things that had to be said? Yeah, I think with every relationship, obviously it's going to be different, and I would always encourage inviting a third voice into that conversation if if it's a safe counselor, if it's a close friend, or like a maybe even like a premarital pastor person, something like that can be really helpful because sometimes the rules aren't really defined well for us um, in that moment. So for me and my now wife, it was in 2022, May of 2022 that we got married and it was in May of 2021 that I gave up pornography. So I was lucky enough to have a story that I was able to be free from pornography for an entire year by the time we got married. And so I know that's not everyone's story. And I know that that I'm very grateful and like fortunate that that's how it panned out for me. And so our relationship conversations about pornography were not, they were in a girlfriend, boyfriend context as opposed to a, okay, we're married right now and I just discovered you're watching pornography, which is what I feel like a lot of the stories we hear are about. Mm -hmm. For us, the conversation was centered around what are you willing to stick around for, basically. Uh, it was in, yeah, January of 2021 when I first really opened up to Megan about my pornography addiction. And I had said vague things in the past of like, yeah, you know, it's a struggle, you know, every guy, you know, and she's like, okay, I think, I think I have a general idea of what this guy goes through probably every couple months, blah, blah, blah. Well, for me at the beginning of the year, I went nine days without relapsing. And that was huge for me. That was catastrophic. I was like, this is amazing. Nine days. That was crazy good. So I shared that with Megan being like, look at all the progress I've made. I know I relapsed, but nine days. And for me, that was a victory for her. She's like, nine days? Are you kidding me? Oh, this guy's completely like depraved. Like, I don't want to get married to this fellow. She got freaked out. And so 
that first conversation with me and Megan was part of the um, initial push to be like, well, I have to really figure this out because I, to be frank, I don't know if this woman is going to marry me if I'm addicted to pornography Mm -hmm. because she communicated to me that freaks me out. Mm -hmm. You're really celebrating nine days and that makes me completely scared. Mm -hmm. So our conversations were more centered around like, the essentials of what does what does Megan need to know before she decides to marry this guy? And what those conversations were was, when did I last have a relapse? So I, did, I wouldn't go into all the details of where I was, where I was going, how it happened, my intent behind it. Those are conversations for my accountability groups and for the men in my life that I still have, actually, that support group today. Um, and I still have those types of conversations with guys, and like where are my temptations are at, where are my weak spots, how I'm kind of going through that. But for Megan and me before marriage, it was, did you relapse or did you not? And so that was really, I know that is going to change once you're actually married to the person. um, But that's typically how our conversations went. I don't know if that's the perfect way or the not perfect way. That's why I think I advise definitely Mm -hmm. get someone else's voice in the conversation Mm -hmm. to figure out what's going to be best for you guys. Sure. Okay. Sterling, how about you? Conversations around this clearly... I mean, your wife, you were in the throes of it being married, and she, like you said before, you know, really evidencing grace and mercy, but did she ever say, like, what are we actually doing here? But what <laughs> what were some of her maybe concerns having the conversations with you? Obviously, it's not, an, it's not like she was unconcerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, her expressions of mercy and grace and faithfulness uh, really sustained me, but it's still an issue. And it, like I mentioned, it still carries hurt with it that, uh, I know she felt, mm-hmm. uh, I think that I was often a lot harder on myself and kind of cut her off at the pass and, and didn't, uh, I took up what needed to be said about judgment on my actions. Mm-hmm. And so, um, not intentionally, but it left more room for her to just express mm-hmm. grace, uh, towards me. The issue of accountability and tackling purity was a big topic in the youth group that I went to at the time. So it was pretty a pretty common conversation among all of the peers. There, there were accountability groups set in place for men and women uh, who struggled with it. And so I think, again, that was a, that was a large privilege that I enjoyed um, being part of a, a church group that had already established this is a topic that we can... Uh, that's on limits to talk about and to express very openly and honestly. The fact that it just kept persisting um, was something that, uh, again, I think weighed more and more heavily. Uh, I think about um, John 8 with the woman caught in adultery uh, when Jesus says, you know, uh, he who has no sin, you can cast the first stone. And then it says everyone there left from the oldest to the youngest. Uh, and I've noticed that I, I think the oldest people left first because they've lived with their sin the longest and they've failed the most. And it's like the longer you live with your own dirt, it's like I feel that. It's not like I'm not unaware of this. The shame builds up. So when we transition from dating for a few years to being married, it's like, man, the seriousness kicks up and, and the shame kicks up a lot. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the conversations were me beating myself up really heavily. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think maybe if I, if I had been more okay with it or or less in the throes of self-depreciation and self-pity a lot, sometimes 
then she might have had more of an opportunity to say, look, this is serious. We need to take care of it. Mm-hmm. But I think she was counterbalancing a lot of mm-hmm. my my self-judgment that, again, wasn't biblical because there is no condemnation in Christ. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I wasn't ignoring the the sin that I felt, mm-hmm. the dirt that I yeah. felt on myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you were almost literally beating her to the punch kind of like yeah. <laughs> by by telling on yourself by admitting that um well to that point i mean just a quick question for each of you like have you thought ahead i mean because sterling you have kids now alex what does this look like for you to tell your story and walk your story as a dad in this well as someone as the one uh, not dad at the table, <laughs> or at least on this side of I'm the table. I'm not a dad. Yeah, you're not a dad. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I, I definitely plan on having kids. And the one thing that I want to do for my children is just a transparency with my journey and with me and my wife's journey through this. Not just leaving it at yeah. If you ever find pornography, don't watch it. You know, because that's what I had. They told me about this thing called porn and this thing called lust. And they said, just don't, don't do it even once and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. So then once I had done it, I was like, where's, where's my next step here? Mm-hmm. And so what I want to do for my kids is I want to, not sure how to do this. I'm probably going to have to lean a lot on uh, the people around me who have done it before. But I want to learn how to create a safe space between me and my kids, a vulnerable place where they know, well, I know dad was really addicted and he was able to find freedom. So I want to be able to foster that type of vulnerability with my kids so that when they encounter this, there isn't a fear between the two of us and they're not afraid to bring it to me, mm-hmm. but instead I can become an ally instead of a judge. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to do that, but that's that's my mm-hmm. that's my goal. Yeah, that's good. Gosh, Lisa, that's just so hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a heavy, heavy question that I've thought a lot about. Part of my thought process has been my own upbringing. Pornography and lust uh, addiction was not something my dad struggled with. I think partially because he didn't grow up in the age of internet pornography Mm, uh, that made it so accessible and prevalent uh, in every household. Uh, So I didn't have an example to look towards, but I I know my dad really well. I have a close personal relationship with him. He's awesome. He's one of my best friends. Uh, and the faults and failings that he does have that I, I can see in him, uh, I can also see in myself. And it brings me a lot of comfort and confidence to have an example to say, all right, well, I won't do that. And he's, he's more than happy to say, yeah, absolutely, do better than what I did. He's there to, to cheer for me and encourage me and support me to stand on his shoulders and learn from his mistakes. Uh, and so I'm really hoping that for my sons and my daughters that I raise, I can say, listen, this is an honest thing. Just like I was honest with your mother, I'll be honest with you in the appropriate time, in the appropriate age, that this is what your dad struggles with. And so you can look to me to know what not to do. Hmm. That is a lot of what a parent's job is, is to teach wholly by example. You will teach wholly by example. And so the mistakes I made my job is just to frame them so that they can learn the best from that that they can. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It just strikes me as both of you are talking that, um, and again, extrapolating this to anyone's sin stuff, like whatever we're doing, your kid's best example is not you. 
-hmm. and your kid's best advocate is not you. (laughs) All of us have to go to the Lord himself for that example and that advocacy and that, you know, agency and all of that. And I think that's so encouraging to say, because we're going to try to soldier through and be like, I have to do it. And if I don't do it, you know what, this just reminds me of every time I try to be someone's Holy Spirit, which is usually (laughs) four or five times daily. Um, And then realizing like, oh, yeah, that's actually not my job, you know, and of course, we're to we're to walk out, you know, with confidence, the uh, the grace that God has given us and stuff. But I I think that's so good. Um, Carrie, finish us out here with encouragement for that person who's just like, they might have just heard a part of their story that they never thought they'd heard and they just heard it through Alex and Sterling or they just thought, you know, this is again, they're 10 years in and they're like, what what am I going to do? Where do I go from here? What would be your advice for first steps for that person who at first or 51st steps for that person who's just like, yeah, I, I need a story that Sterling and Alex have. One of the things that we talk about in our department is how sanctification and recovery is a very similar process. And we talk about how, you know, yes, we're saved by grace. And if, you know, when the Lord says we're free, we're free indeed. Nevertheless, all of us have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not, that doesn't, you know, mean that we're we're perfect. Um, so for the person who's listening that is, you know, really struggling in this area specifically. I think there's some really pragmatic things. Um, One thing that I hope that you hear in Sterling and Alex's testimony is hopefulness, and that in Christ there is always hope. We don't want to project a certain timeline on our recovery. I think that's a dark, deep hole to say that um, I've tried support groups, I've tried the apps, I've tried counseling, I've, I've gone to the altar, I've confessed and confessed and confessed, and here, nevertheless, here I am. Um, I think that's a, that's a pretty complicated narrative, and there can be a lot of reasons for that. But, but one reason that it's not is that God doesn't want you free. I mean, that would be a lie from the enemy. I think we can project on ourselves that change must happen instantaneous, or change must happen within three months. Or if I tried these things, these three things, and they didn't, they didn't work within three months, then recovery must, must not be in the cards for me. I think we have to be careful not to project that onto our story. Um, God and His sovereignty does have a hope and a future for you. That's his promise. Um, The other thing I would say is that at the point in time where we actually can come face to face with that moment of surrender and we're ready to confess, remember that confession isn't just about confessing our past sins or our past struggle. It's about our present reality and creating a future strategy. Um, So it's, it's likely not going to be just a moment of confession and just a moment of surrender. Mm. It's going to be a process. That's good. Well, I know, um, I know, Carrie, that you and your team have a number of resources um, that you like to point folks to. And so we want to let you know, listener, that we're going to make those available in our show notes. Uh, We'll have links there for you for further reading, um, some other uh, places maybe that you can even contact, uh, different resources that are out there. I also want to remind you, as I often do here at Boundless and the Boundless Show, that we actually have this team of trained, licensed, professional Christian 
Christian counselors who will provide a free consultation to you to just kind of get you started in having this conversation, figuring out what's next. And what's really awesome is they have a completely vetted network of counselors, including ones probably in your area that they can refer you to for continued care. And so if you go to boundless.org slash counseling, you will find uh, all the resources you need there, including the phone number necessary to call our team. If you straight up want to call now because you're going to forget or you're going to chicken out or whatever, just call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY and ask to speak to a counselor and someone will get you connected right away. And so um, don't delay, you guys. I mean, you know what? It may have been 10 years. Don't make it 10 years in a day before you call and you get help and you get that encouragement and the next step that you need. So Uh, All three of you, thank you so much for this conversation. Super helpful and encouraging. Absolutely. Welcome to this week's culture segment here at The Boundless Show. And we're going to have a fun conversation today because you know that we often talk about the value of church here at Boundless. And um, but not just church, but Christian community. And I know we've ramped this up more so even since COVID and just having this like, what does it look like to be part of something bigger than ourselves, especially within the body of Christ? Well, a person who is 
a straight-on expert in this area is Katie McCown. She's a writer. She's a speaker. Um, she's the wife of an NFL quarterback, um, and she's a podcast host, uh, president of She Laughs Ministries, and she's written for Proverbs 31. A lot of you know about that. Um, she's the host of The Best Day Ever with Katie McCown podcast, and I had the privilege of being on her show. We're going to make sure we're linking to that as it comes out uh, as well, so stay tuned. Um, but Katie, welcome to The Boundless Show. I am so happy to be here, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Well, this is really fun. Uh, We're going to be talking about, like we said, this idea of Christian community. And um, I I didn't say, I mentioned that you're an author, but I mean, this is like straight up like Bible study teacher and author type person we're talking to today. Um, Specifically, uh, She Belongs, Finding Your Place in the Body of Christ is a a study that Katie has penned, and it's pretty new. And so we're going to make you aware of that and give you some more information on that coming up. But Katie, give us a little bit to start out just so we can get to know you a little bit of your story. And um, we're going to talk about in the context of, you know, your your husband, the moves you've had to make and the way you've had to go mm-hmm. after community. But give us a little context for that. Yeah. So when I was young, in my early to mid-20s, I married my husband, Luke, And we were married in May, and then we almost immediately, and when I say I mean like within weeks, Hmm. we moved from our home base in Texas to Cleveland, Ohio, where he played his first year in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. So at the time, I mean, to move literally meant to drive my car with our wedding presents and our dog to Mm. Cleveland. (laughs) We had nothing. We had no furniture. You know, I packed some clothes. But we were newlyweds, and we were just starting this brand-new life. So we moved up there, and we probably had our – well, we for sure had our five-year plan. You know, we were making these plans about, okay, when would we start having children, and what would we need a bigger place to live when we did start having all those things. But little did we know, within the first year, we would move again. So he only played one season in Cleveland. And then in the middle of a blizzard, we were traded from Cleveland to Tampa, Florida. So I cannot say I was mad about that. (laughs) I mean, we, we left into the snow for palm trees. And that really, we did not know it at the time, but that kind of set the course for the rest of his career, which was a 13 year career, because we never really stayed anywhere for more than about four years. And, uh, oh, by the way, in the span of those 13 years and all of the moves, which I added it up, we moved 12 times in 13 years. Oh. Uh, in, in the midst of all of that, we had six children. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, my goodness, talk about wild. And we are going to talk, I know, more about community, but just kind of that thread, just briefly to say, when I started um, as a young married woman and kind of just this adventure is really what it felt like to me. I would not tell you that I went into each new situation thinking community will be important for me here. Where can I find it? That was not my natural approach. I've kind of always been a figure it out, keep going, make it work kind of a girl. And I've never really approached much thinking This will be better done within community. That is something that God taught me along the way, and I'm so thankful He did, because I probably would not have sought it out, especially with as much as we moved, Hmm. because it really just—I really did get to the point where even knowing that God was pushing me towards Christian community, I would move again and think, 
why bother? Who knows how long we'll be here? Why would I take the time to make the investment into new lives and new people that I might only know for a few months? And I can say now, because my husband is now retired, he's been retired for six or seven years. Some of those friendships that I made, even when we were in one place for just a few months, I still look back on as some of the most impactful friendships in my life. And in She Belongs, I tell stories about those people Mm -hmm. and how God used them in my life and how he is still using what happened all of those years ago in my life today because of the communities that he formed around me. So it was a really special thing, and I'm thankful that he taught me that. Yeah. Well, and it is kind of counterintuitive because I think if we look at it on the surface, it's like just going it alone and kind of doing our own thing is a lot less messy. And it's very easy to say, if I just have to worry about myself and just be about myself, like I can manage me, but I cannot start dealing with all of these other people. <laughs> and all of, I remember being, you know, as a single woman, I remember living on my own for 12 or 13 years. And then I got a roommate who was one of my dear friends and uh, just decided for a number of reasons that this was probably a good idea. But then all of a sudden, I'm like, who, why are you even doing that? And why are you like in my space? And why did you even hang that picture on the wall? Because it's horrible. And just all of a sudden, it's like people's lives creep into yours. And we realize how selfish and quite frankly, self-righteous we can be about our own ways and our own ideas and stuff like that. And so what would you say? I I think it's very fascinating how we all have this idealized view of community and what it looks like and kind of what we're trying to go after. But what would you say like at at its core is is really the the biblical necessity for community? What are the, some of the biggest benefits for it and and how do you kind of craft your relationships to move in that direction? Well, I love what you said towards the end. I mean, you were you were essentially talking about, you know, iron sharpens iron, that verse that many of us are familiar with because it is funny I think that sometimes when we're kind of going it alone, we can feel pretty good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. I even think about when I I had actually been a part of a gym where I would go work out consistently and I dropped the gym because I decided that was costing me time and money that I didn't want to spend anymore in that way. So I dropped the gym and I was going to work out at home. Okay, well, let's be real. I went weeks, maybe even months without working out (laughs) at all. But then I was like, no, I'm going to do it. So I downloaded an app. I'm still going to do it by myself. And I did do it with that app on my phone. And then my sweet, honest husband came in and saw me doing a part of the routine or the workout on the app. And he was like, you're not doing that right. (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? I'm doing, I look just like the girl in the video, right? And he was like, no, baby, that is wrong. And so even when I was doing what I wanted to do, I wasn't doing it in the way that was going to produce the best results, my desired results, but I didn't even know it because I was doing it alone. And I think when we consider community, yes, sometimes it is easiest to think about all that we have to lose, the capacity that we don't feel like spending on it or the time that it will take or the risk of someone not doing it the way we want them to do it, or, or possibly 
someone doing it in a way that feels hurtful to us or offensive. And we begin there. But in Christian community specifically, it has been designed for us by God. And it wasn't designed to be a burden. It what God gave us community as a benefit for us. So just briefly to expand on how it's been designed for us, God himself exists in community. God as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Genesis, God tells us that we were designed in his image. So God exists in community, which means we were designed to exist in community. And so when we feel lonely, and and I think all of us have felt lonely at least a time in our lives, maybe even for a moment or a day, but we know that feeling And that feeling is actually just a reminder that we've been created in the image of God and designed for community. And I think about, you know, what you were describing about how people can, it can get messy. You know, word I use sometimes is it can feel complicated. Things can feel more complicated when we include people. And I often think about like a road trip because I don't like to stop on road trips. I like to stop when we need gas. And when you stop for gas, if you're hungry, you eat. And if you need to go to the bathroom, you do that. And if you don't need to stop for gas, then you wait until you need to stop for gas to do anything else you need to do. But sometimes when I travel with other people in the car, they don't agree with me. And they want to make these unscheduled stops. And if they get hungry, they want to pull off and find a place to eat. Or if they need to go to the bathroom, they somehow think that they cannot hold it until the next time we need to stop for gas. And it can feel like it slows me down. It can feel like it complicates things. And it can feel easier to just make the drive alone. But I will tell you that I can think of specific times in my life when I have been driving in the car and I was so thankful for passengers. And one specific time was when I had to drive home after my dad's funeral. And I did not care about whether there were passengers in the car and whether they were hungry or needed to go to the bathroom. I was just thankful that I wasn't driving that road alone. And so when we talk about the benefits of Christian community, one thing to consider is, like you mentioned, Lisa, we do make each other better. God uses us to make each other more like Him. And, and our, when we are Christians, we are in Christ. Our identity is now in Christ, and therefore our goal is to be more like Christ. And when we walk Together, we help each other become more like Christ. Jesus himself gave us the example of living in community on earth. He could have done however he wanted. He could have brought salvation to the world. And he came and chose to call disciples to himself. And they followed him literally. If he went from this town to that town, they went with him. When he sat down to eat, they ate with him. When it was time to go to sleep, they slept wherever they were together. He did life with these people. He taught them as they went, and then he entrusted the gospel message to them and said, now you go and make disciples. That's the example he set for us. And oh, by the way, because that's how he chose to do it, that means we're a part of it today. That means he chose me and he chose you to be a part of 
his mission and his purposes on earth because that's how he chose to do it. And so when I consider that, I think, why in the world would I think I need to do it different than Jesus did? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, we don't always know when we will hit those stretches of highway in our lives that we would be really thankful not to be traveling alone. We won't always know when those are coming. And if we will choose today to move towards belonging in the body of Christ, to move towards community, to set aside whatever it is that we're using as an excuse or that might be holding us back and do it anyway, whether we think we need it, whether we think we have time for it, there will come a time when we are so thankful that God, that we allowed Him to build the community around us that we have. Yeah, that reminds me so much of a a friend of mine who was talking to me about a friend of hers who lost her husband somewhat suddenly to a quick cancer diagnosis, and he he passed away pretty quickly. Um, It was a, a quick decline. And I just remember her telling me, and Lisa, they just so had this insular relationship. They were just each, you know, everything for each other. And I don't think they were Mm -hmm. believers at all that she said now she is just completely alone. Like I am her Mm -hmm. only friend and I am seven states away from her. And she is realizing, you know, that she has been left empty handed and she has no one to turn to. She has no one to be in her life every day. She clearly doesn't have a church community or anything. And so it is so, I mean, the, the consistency Consideration of what that looks like is such a big deal when you think of it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask you, because I, I think this is something that I hear from people throughout the church in general, but especially young adults. And it's kind of this awkward question of like, okay, people are going to tell me to plug into church and to find a small group and to do whatever and maybe serve. And But how do I actually go deeper in community at church? I feel like everyone's just smiling and saying their pleasantries mm-hmm. and we'll maybe do a small group, but we're, you know, we're going to do Katie's Bible study, but they're all just going to talk about the ba- <laughs> basics. Mm-hmm. No one's going to be real about their life. How do I find that real friend, whether it's a girl, you know, listening or one of our guys listening? I feel like sometimes it's even harder for them. How do they make it real and actually be the person who's going to say, I, I want to find something deeper and I want to find something, you know, someone that I can really invest in and vice versa. What does that look like? Well, one thing that the first thing that comes to mind is commitment over time, hmm. because I do think that sometimes we just want to walk in and it happens. And I can just say from personal testimony, that's not how it's been in my life. It's been going when I don't feel like I have that friend or when I don't feel confident that we're going to get deeper today or I'm going to find a deeper relationship or connection, but it's going back week after week, whether it's a small group, whether it's a connection group on a Sunday morning, I will say, and you said it this way, but I do want to clarify that that would be a first step. So if you're just going to the large service on a Sunday morning or a large gathering or something like that, that's going to be a difficult place to take a step into deeper relationship. So a smaller group, even if it feels uh, uncomfortable, is going to be a first step. But even when you get into the smaller group, there is, I believe, a process of just over time, developing those relationships. Now, that being said, how do we participate in the process? And I think there's a couple of ways. One, 
I have a friend who says it like this, and I cannot think of a better way to say it, so I'm just going to repeat what she has told me. But she talks about how there's two ways to enter a room, and one is a here I am approach, and the other is a there you are approach. And so the here I am approach is I walk in, I show up, I sit down, maybe I offer some something in a discussion time, but I'm really waiting on someone else to be the one that pursues that deeper relationship and connection. And if they don't, then I'm going to say I can't find it here. But when you do the there you are approach, it's proactive. So you walk in with the, you've already prayed, God, show me someone that I can reach out to. And I can think back to these women who have done this for me in my life. And we weren't best friends. We were probably very new friends. And they would say, hey, do you want to get lunch sometime? And we would go, you know, one-on-one to lunch. Or would you like to come over and have coffee? Or, you know, maybe you're walking every day for exercise already and you invite someone to come with you. Or maybe you do laundry at the same time in the same place every week. And, hey, you usually do it alone, but maybe there's someone you can say, do you do your laundry too? Maybe we want to do it at the same time. And we're looking for I call them opportunities for belonging, but they're not opportunities for us, although they become opportunities for us. They're opportunities for someone else. And we're looking for ways to be the one who takes the step instead of waiting on someone else to do that for us. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The other thing is, I say, ask and answer. So ask is, how can I pray for you? We can ask each other that. Instead of, you know, the big group where we do prayer requests and sometimes a half hour later we're still doing prayer requests and we're thinking, okay, I'm not going to say anything right now because we really do need to get to the Bible study today. Or maybe it's something that you don't feel like sharing in front of a, a small group, even if it is 20 people. But we can ask each other through a text message or just as we pass each other, how can I pray for you? But the other part might be the harder part, and that's answer. If someone asks you, how can I pray for you? Tell them something. You know, how often does somebody say, how can I pray for you? And we're like, I don't know. You know, I think, I think I'm good. But the reality is there's, you're praying about something possibly. There's something on your heart and you, you know, well, what's on your heart. You know, well, the burden that you think about all the time or that you feel like you carry day after day. And we don't have to get super specific with it, but we can say something like, you know, I have this decision to make, and I don't really know what to do. I would love for you to pray for God to make that clear to me. Something general like that, so that we're at least offering whoever that may have been that said, how can I pray for you? We're, we're answering them. We're giving them something. And that one thing could be what begins a deepening in connection and community to the body of Christ, because then maybe that person follows up with you. And maybe that's the step towards building a deeper relationship. Yeah. And I love those suggestions because they are specific. So I feel like too many people get lost in this like, well, you know, like even like what you said about getting together, it's like pick something specific and invite someone into it. Don't just say we all talk about this when people are like, oh, we need to get together sometime. Mm -hmm. And then like no one ever does anything, you know, or but you're like, yeah, I'm going to go on a hike this Saturday and I would love for you to join me or after church, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go grab some 
some lunch. Do you want to join me, you know, or or come over for lunch or something like that? And you're like, now they have a specific ask to respond to, which I think is is just fantastic. Um, it was making me think of I had a phone conversation with a girl I've mentored and uh, a mentoring. She just recently got married. And sometimes it it involves also being willing to be kind of awkward because with her, we were just chit-chatting and we're like catching up and how's married life and blah, blah, blah. And then I was just like, OK, um, tell me what's going on spiritually. Like, where are you? Are you still in the word? <laughs> like, And I'm just like, mm-hmm. well, might as well just ask. And she was so great to respond and she appreciated the the candor. And then it was great because then she's like, OK, Lisa, tell me how you're doing spiritually. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, OK, 20 something, you know, like I'm right. a mentor here, whatever. <laughs> but it's exactly what God wants us to do and to challenge each other. And so I think that's so that's so encouraging. So, um, OK, really quickly before we end, because I definitely need to get your take on this because you mentioned that you're married and you have six kids. So how you Mm -hmm. even have time to include other people in your life, I do not know. (laughs) So you have to speak to one of the big frustrations that I think people have is they think, um, Okay, especially a lot in our audience, because being younger, we have a lot of um, single young adults. And so they're like, well, yeah, but then my friends get married and I never see them again. Or I have Mm -hmm. married people in the church that I would love to get to know, but it seems like they're always just with their family and I don't want to be like some third wheel or whatever. What's your suggestion, Katie, for how marrieds and singles can find space for each other in community within the church Mm -hmm. and outside of it? I think I think of two things. One I mean, I can think of a girl, oh, she's probably 20 years younger than me, and God put her on my heart, and I said, like, a little bit like you and your friend, Lisa, just kind of, so so what's going on? How are you? You know, just this casual conversation at church, but because God put her on my heart, and I asked the question, she answered, and I realized she is wanting deeper relationship with God through the Word, and she's struggling to find the time. And so I said, hey, would you want to get up at the same time together, you and your house, me and mine, but we can just text each other and say, good morning, and it can be a little bit of an accountability. And that began a deeper relationship with us because now every time we see each other, we, so how are you doing? So what's going on now? And it was something something that simple where it was just a, we'll text each other at the same time and try to hold each other accountable to getting up and getting in the Word. Anybody can do that, whether you're a teenager, a 20-something, or a married woman with six kids, we can get up at the same time and keep, keep each other accountable in the Word, and that's a text message. But taking it one step further, as a single person, maybe you've already decided for the married friend that they don't have time, and I think sometimes we do that. We make decisions about people and for people without actually asking. And so sometimes I think it can be as simple as, hey, you may feel overwhelmed at home and you may feel like your house is messy and you're embarrassed for me to come over, but I really don't care. I would love to just come spend some time with you. Are you okay with me dropping in at, like you said, Lisa, at this time on this day, once a month, and we can just catch up? And I think when we try to do something like once a week or even once every other week, that can get sticky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if we want to get really specific, maybe once a month or once a quarter, I know maybe sometimes married people or people with children 
seem super busy and like they have no space, but I can also say that when I was a newlywed, I had never been more alone in my whole life (laughs) when I was a newlywed because my husband worked crazy hours and we had moved to a place where I had no friends. And I remember sitting in my house watching the prices right in the middle of the day thinking, wow, I didn't know I'd be alone as much as I am when I got married. Hmm. And so I think if we can just get specific, don't try to overdo it where we're trying to do, be committed to something so much that we never do have the time, but start with something that we can at least put on our calendars, schedule it like you would a doctor's appointment or a meeting you have at work and prioritize it and show up for it once a week, once a quarter and start there and then pray for each other and touch base through a text message or something like that. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. And again, just specific examples that help so much. Well, folks, we want you to know we've been talking about some themes from Katie's book, She Belongs, Finding Your Place in the Body of Christ. But guys, I think you could agree that there are principles here for you, too, even though she wrote this study specifically for women. But we want you to know that actually this study uh, we want to make available to you, actually, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So this might be something where you're like heading into fall. You need to kind of do something different. You maybe want to grab a group of friends and do this. The study itself actually includes a video component that is included with that. And so you go to boundless.org, search for 815. That is this week's episode. And we will uh, go ahead. You'll see the, the book cover there. You click on it. You give a gift to Boundless for the work that we're already doing. You know that we are in our uh, 25th anniversary month. So we're super excited about that. Um, but you go ahead and give a, give a gift to Boundless. We will send a copy of Katie's book, this study to you as our thank you for supporting Boundless. So you can make it happen. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. And congratulations on 25 (laughs) years. That is exciting. It's crazy. Thank you so much. Folks, we're finishing out uh, this week's show with the inbox and answering one of your questions. And we have one of our fantastic counselors in the studio this week to answer your question, Jerry Jones. Hey, Jerry. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for being here. 
So this is a relationship question. We do these a lot here. So a lot of questions from listeners around this. So our listener is wondering, how do I ascertain whether my boyfriend is truly seeking God and wants to follow him? What level of maturity should I expect from a 20-year-old in that area? Sometimes it feels like I have to predict the future with very little data. Well, Lisa, I just want to say that I'm very impressed with this question. And I want to say to this young woman who asked it, being in a relationship with you is a privilege. (laughs) And privileges can be earned. They can also be lost. So don't guess about the future. Demand to see the data. And I want to give you just three crucial questions that you might ask. Number one, does your boyfriend practice the disciplines of the faith? The Bible... uh, Is the Bible the thing that shapes his worldview? Does the Bible provide him with his ability to make decisions in life? How about worship? Does he fellowship with other believers on a regular basis? Who are his friends? Do his friends uh, encourage his faith, or do they actually pull him down in his faith and prayer? Does he pray with you? Uh, Is prayer a part of his daily routine? Now, we have to understand that he might be a new believer, And so we have to let him be where he is in his relationship with Christ. But you do need to see that he's on course with Christ and moving forward. Here's question number two. Is he committed to personal holiness? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. God takes sexual sin seriously. A Christian woman who's looking for a Christian man needs to know how he defines sexual sin. How does he treat you in the relationship? Does he set boundaries in the physical aspect of the relationship? Does he respect your boundaries? What is his relationship to pornography? Maybe he doesn't have a relationship with pornography. If so, this young man is probably a keeper. But statistically, that's harder and harder to find. They tell us that 68% of Christian men who attend church on a regular basis struggle with pornography. In this age range uh, that Boundless targets, Christians 18 to 24, they tell us that 76% of those individuals are searching for pornography. Why is that relevant to this question? And it's simply this. Um, Pornography is a marriage buster. There's a term in counseling that we use called betrayal emotional trauma. That's what a woman feels when she discovers that her husband is involved in pornography. She feels betrayed and she suffers emotional trauma. Question number three. Is your boyfriend independently healthy inside his own circle? A healthy relationship, whether it's dating or marital, is one where two healthy people can relate to one another in a positive way corporately. A healthy person is able to care for themselves in four distinct categories, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. So how can I know if my boyfriend is independently healthy? More than anything, Lisa, he'll be able to talk to you. (laughs) Uh, And he'll be willing to talk to you. He'll be able to hear and understand your feelings and emotions, and he'll be able to communicate his feelings and emotions with you. Healthy people can reason together, whether it's to make a decision, to solve a problem, or even resolve a conflict. In marriage counseling, we call this heart talk. Can your boyfriend engage with you in 
heart talk. Now, let's be fair. The question specifically asked, what can I expect in terms of maturity from a 20-year-old man? (laughs) Obviously, we can't expect a 20-year-old man to have the maturity of a 30-year-old man or a 40-year-old man or a 50-year-old man, but you can expect him to produce the data that he's growing. Is he practicing the disciplines of the faith? Is he committed to personal holiness? Is he an independently healthy person? Don't guess about those things. Demand to see the proof and hold out until you do. (laughs) Great thoughts, Jerry. Thank you so much for that expertise. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, yeah, two things I would add is, uh, first of all, this is a great list for us to look at for ourselves, because we often say, this is what I need in someone I'm going to date or someone I'm going to marry. And then we forget oh yeah, I've got to be growing in these ways as well. Am I a person who is becoming the person that God wants me to be? And so that's a good reminder there too. And then I always say all of this growth needs to happen in accountable Christian community. And so um, does it? what does it look like to be humble and teachable and have people who are speaking into your life, especially those great mentors? We talk about that so much here at Boundless, but such a great list and a great starting point. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week show. We do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org, or you can hit us up in our DMs on Instagram or on Facebook. And we would uh, love to start the conversation, continue the conversation as we go about doing this uh, super fun opportunity for us to engage with you. So in the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family. Hey everybody, here the latest episode of my podcast, Refocus with Jim Daly. Dr. John Lennox talks about how we need to show both love and truth to others. Love and truth they find difficult to put together because love without truth becomes sloppy sentiment and truth without love becomes hard and can be vicious. Dr. Lennox will help you overcome barriers when sharing your faith on the next Refocus with Jim Daly.